0: <laughs> hello and welcome to bread and thread a podcast about food and domestic history i'm liz
1: and i'm hazel we are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and domestic history and making food and other things that may or not, may, may or may not be historical um so uh should I start this time or do you want to start you can start if you want okay um yeah again I uh, haven't really been doing that much because very tired uh doing hospital placement but I've been working a little bit on my quilt um oh yeah I said that last time didn't I uh in terms of my my little set that I'm renting doesn't have an oven so what? I've been quite limited in terms of
2: baking <laughs> That's um, right. yeah like
1: basically the only I, I've made nothing notable food rise it has a induction hob that has one ring and a microwave um, so I feel like I, I want to try out some microwave baking
0: <laughs> I'm gonna get into mug cakes
1: yeah I'm gonna I will come back next episode I will tell you the best mug cake recipe that I have found. <laughs> um, but apart from that, I mean, the most noteworthy food thing I've made was Jack Monroe's bean bean goulash recipe.
2: So yeah, <laughs> which, which is delicious and very cheap. So there's that. What about you? Um, I, I've gone in slightly the opposite direction. I, I went back to the dangerous website.
0: Oh. Um well, you know, there's a lot of historical recipes and recipes from different countries that we didn't have the right spices for.
2: Uh-huh. So now we have mace, long pepper, and grains of paradise. Oh wow. <laughs> oh, is that the um buy
1: herbs and spices in bulk website? It is. Uh yes.
0: <laughs> I see. So we um, have 50 grams of each of those because that's the smallest amount. <laughs>
1: amazing. So-
0: but anyway, um yeah, we're doing a I think it's Rwandan chicken stew tonight because we're still doing the making food from random countries thing. So I might, might stick some fancy spices in there instead of black pepper. Wow. Okay. Because they that... do all have like slightly different flavour profiles, which is quite fun to play with.
2: Oh, that sounds cool. That's like, just it... alchemy. <laughs> it is.
0: We have discovered that nutmeg is still great in sweet things, but mace is
2: better in savoury things, like in a white sauce okay it's like savory nutmeg it's great Ooh, oh, that sounds delicious oh i'm so jelly playing with flavors <laughs> and speaking of things that used to be expensive but now aren't uh-huh um we have an episode which was requested a while ago by uh, a listener ewan also, Hello, certainly like to a cool D&D thing, so thank you, Ewan. Oh, yeah, Ewan's cool. So, I'm gonna do a br- brief, all things considered, kind of whistle stop tour through sugar. Great, okay. Hold on, thank let you- me get my French fancies. <laughs> Who doesn't love sugar? <laughs> <laughs> Do you actually have French fancies? I actually have French fancies. Amazing. I, th- yeah, I think I'm going have goes. a dainty little sugary comfort while I listen to you talk about sugar. It's a lemon one. Thank you for specifying. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, sugar. The. So I'm going to talk about sugarcane first, just because it's
0: older in terms of mass use. Mm-hmm. So it was domesticated in Papua New Guinea and Taiwan
2: around 4,000 BCE. Wow. As two species, the Saccharum officinarum and Saccharum sinense.
0: Um, and you would just sort of chew it as a, a sweet treat to get the mm. sugary juices out of it?
2: hmm I've heard of chewing sugarcane. Mm-hmm. Oh, think, no, actually, I, I have. people still do. Yeah, no, I have. I have. Um, I could just, when I was briefly living in Vietnam, you could just, like, buy sugarcane and just, like, chew on it. And it was tasty. Was was it particularly sweet, or...? Um. Quite sweet, yeah. Very, like, fibrous. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So it becomes a major crop around uh, Polynesia and Micronesia within about 500 years of this first evidence of
2: domestication, which is quite fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably spread by Polynesian sailors. And
0: it hits um, mainland China around
2: 1000 BC so it spends like 3000 years just sort of hanging around the South Pacific sounds like a good time um but we don't get to solid
0: sugar like beyond the sort of the sugarcane juices either from chewing or just pressing and then using that liquid um, until probably the first century AD, definitely by 350.
2: Okay. Um, That's quite a long time after. It is. But the purifying
0: process is apparently surprisingly complicated at that point and involves um,
2: ethanol and burnt bones. Ooh. So... We, we know that it's
0: being purified in um, Uttar Pradesh, which is a, a region of India,
2: mm-hmm. around 350 AD. It. And it spreads all around the Arab Peninsula. Um, Persia learns
0: how to make it pretty quickly. It doesn't seem to be a, a protected, like a secret of Uttar Pradesh or anything like that. It's just, okay. hey, here's how you make sugar. And then the Silk Road does its magic. It does. Um, Yeah, like with tea, it seems to sort of
2: spread to India and then kind of get taken off to China by Buddhist monks, this technology. Which, I mean, by this point, they've been growing sugar in China for a long time. This is the 7th century. Mm -hmm. So suddenly going, here's a new thing we can do with sugar. Ooh. Um,
0: by this point, it's a big thing in Indian and Middle Eastern cooking. I mean, you've probably encountered Indian sweets. They're just incredibly, like, tooth-meltingly sweet.
1: Yeah, yeah, I tried to make gulab jamun once, and the sugar syrup was just, like, oh, delicious, but also very
2: sugary.
0: I genuinely cannot eat more than one Indian sweet in one go. <laughs>
2: Like, they're great, and I love them, but just one. <laughs> um,
0: unsurprisingly, with it being in India in the Middle East, shows up in ancient Greek medical texts very early on, again around
2: the first century when they're starting to sort of crystallise it. Uh, Pliny the Elder specifically says that Indian sugar is better than Arab sugar. Okay. Doesn't say well- why.
1: <laughs> Plonium just knows. Plenia well, I think it was him
0: it. in the soap one as well, that he was just like, ah, oh, this soap's better. I won't say why, but it is.
1: Could it presumably be because that's the one he's heard of more?
0: It's possible. Or maybe maybe they didn't
2: transfer all of their secrets. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the physician, um, pronouncing it's your Greek name, Dioscorides,
0: Dioscorides, Mm. um, talks about a coalesced honey that resembles salt, but is sweet.
2: That sounds like sugar. Mm. Which you get in apparently sort of hazelnut sized lumps. Mm. And is apparently good for bladder and kidney pain. Okay.
0: Not entirely convinced that would actually do anything, but you'd probably yeah, like feel you- a bit better if you've just eaten basically a sugar cube. Yeah. It distracted you for a little bit. Give you some endorphins. Um. Yeah. So then it spreads mostly with um the spread of Arab culture. I'm. And, and mm-hmm jumping ahead a lot, but there's a lot to cover, so I'm just very much surface level. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Sicily is a big producer. Okay. And it pops up in um, Al-Andalus, which is sort of the
2: southern part of Spain that was colonised by the Moors. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's still very expensive in in Europe at this point,
0: even though, like I say, it is being grown in in Europe by now. Just because yeah. it takes a lot of work to grow the sugarcane and extract it.
1: Okay. Whereabouts in Europe can you grow sugar? Would I suppose be in Spain and the
2: Mediterranean
0: countries? It? Sicily and Al-Andalus are the big centers for it, so it's sort of that sort of Mediterranean. Yeah, where, not just where like, it's, like where it's warm. Yeah.
2: Oh no, I don't think you can grow sugarcane in Norway, no <laughs> It starts to get popular with rich Europeans Around the 12th century
0: Because um, crusaders also encounter this sweet salt Seems to be referred to as that a lot Which I think is quite interesting and and they bring it home with them, because it tastes good. Mm-hmm. And Venice does what Venice has done throughout history, which is set up a virtual monopoly. <laughs> okay.
1: It's, yeah. As soon as you mentioned Venice, I could yeah, see that coming.
0: It's what it's just what Venice does. <laughs> and yeah, they keep that monopoly until the thirteen nineties
2: when um, new sugar extraction techniques pop up in Andalusia. Ooh. But the... Interestingly, even though we know people
0: were eating it before then, from other records, the first time it shows up in an English-language recipe, uh, it actually shows up in multiple circa 1450 recipe books in English. Oh, wow. Um, including, I've got a custard recipe here, if you want.
2: Okay. If you want me to try and pronounce.
0: I I absolutely do. Go on, please. Um, so this is from the Hallean manuscript. Uh, or the Hallean manuscript, 4016. Presumably Hallean library. Um, take fair milk and flour... And draw them
2: through a strainer, and set them over the fire, and let them boil a while. Then take them up, and let them cool a while. I think that's cool, it's spelled keel.
0: And then take raw yolks of aron which is eggs, okay. and draw them through a strainer, and cast to a little salt and set it over the fire till it be somewhat thick.
2: Let it not fully boil, and stir it right well evermore. Slight, just evermore? Light tangents evermore. Keep stirring it forever. <laughs> just, just, just keep going. <laughs> and put it in
0: a dish out of broad and serve it forth a good pottage in one manner, and then take sugar a good quantity, and cast thereto, and serve it forth.
1: Why does medieval England make everything pottage? I don't know. <laughs> I guess that, that's a texture that, that you would be familiar with if you're yeah, describing it, something.
0: Like it does sound quite good. It sounds like kind of a custard. Yeah. Kind of, without
2: sauce. Without the vanilla. Hmm. Oh, I love Middle English. It just makes it sound poetic. I mean, it's one of those things that's easier to read out loud than in your head, I think, Middle English, because
0: once you start trying to make the sounds, you go, oh, that's that word.
2: Yeah. But written down, it's, it's not great. <laughs> um, so by this point, Antwerp is the centre of the European sugar trade.
0: Um, with um, plantations in Valencia. Unfortunately, this is the point where slavery comes in because uh,
2: those Valencian plantations had African slaves. Right. Um, so then you get uh, colonization in the New World. Uh, Portugal takes sugar
0: to Brazil, Hispaniola, and uh, Demerara. You've probably mm-hmm. heard of Demerara sugar. Yeah, I have. Uh, which is apparently in modern-day Guyana.
2: Hmm.
0: And they had three thousand mills by 1550, and oh. I dread to think
2: how many enslaved people there were working in them at that point. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a scale. Um, but it takes about a hundred years for the Dutch to actually start um doing the same thing in the Caribbean about 1640. Mm -hmm. They start setting up sugar mills there. I didn't realise that the whole kind of industrial processing started quite so early. Yeah, people had a big taste for sugar. Yeah.
0: Over the course of the 1700s, sugar consumption in Britain increases fivefold. Purely because,
2: even though a lot of it is being grown further away, it's cheaper Mm -hmm. because of slavery. Mm -hmm. And it was actually Britain's most valuable import until the 1820s. Oh. Which is wild to me. Yeah, that's still, I mean, that's mid-industrial revolution literally worth its weight in gold for a long time. Wow. Um but it's not sold in sort of bags of sugar
0: crystals like we're used to today. But be sold as a sugar loaf. Oh yeah. Which is essentially an enormous cone of white sugar.
2: There's a um a folly, uh,
1: fairly near where I come from, called the Sugar Loaf. Um, so one of those things that rich people would just build in their grounds because um,
2: it's just this cone-shaped structure, kind of in a field. You can go inside. <laughs>
0: it's it's not even the like. Oh, I'll put a romantic ruin in my garden. It's just a big cone.
2: Yeah. <laughs> It's quite random. I mean, booking the trends, I guess. <laughs> so you'd you'd have to snip pieces off this this enormous cone
0: with what were called sugar nippers or sugar nips.
1: Okay, <laughs> I'm going with... to start calling people sugar nips. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it does It does sound slightly like a term of endearment, doesn't it? <laughs>
2: um, which there will be a picture of on the Twitter because that's going to be the clue for this episode. Because why make the clue obvious when I can post a picture of sugar nips? Exactly. Make this, makes it more fun. I've got to challenge you. <laughs> the listeners. Um, So Cuba, perhaps unsurprisingly, is a big
0: um, sugar-producing area. It's one of the biggest because Mm -hmm. unlike a lot of um, the Caribbean and South America, it's not particularly mountainous, and you don't want mountains for growing sugar.
2: Yeah, okay.
1: Okay, I think we touched on this part a little bit in our episode on rum a while ago.
0: Yes, uh, which is episode 12. Because the molasses, um, or in British English, black treacle, is a byproduct of the sugar purification, basically turning it from brown sugar to white sugar.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's what you make rum with. Indeed. So, yeah, listen to episode 12 for more on the at times slightly bizarre history of rum. It is, as they say, a rum thing. Is that
0: I, I was trying to make a pun. Are you, about Are you trying name. to to remember the phrase "rum do"?
1: A rum do, yeah. I was wondering if that was like the phrase, or is it like a rum deal? It's it. Yeah, let's just pretend that I did that right. It is, as they say, a rum do.
2: Lawlessly <laughs> <I'm honestly> saved. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but of course, sugar cane is not the only source of sugar.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's sugar beet, right? There is uh, Beta vulgaris vulgaris, which is actually that's... the same species as the mangelwurzel and beetroot. Oh, fruit. okay. That's that's all the same species, right?
2: So also it's with a charge. A... A root vegetable. Well, like so it's it's kind of like have you
0: ever seen that image that's like there's a, a wild plant in the middle and then it's like different cultivars of that same plant are like broccoli and mustard and things like that? Yeah. It's the same thing, it's the same plant. You breed it for leaves, you get chard, you breed it for different um aspects of the root you can get beetroot or manglewirzel or or
2: sugar beet. Okay. So yeah, that has a relatively large amount of sugar for a root. Okay. Uh specifically the taproot is the sugar beet, which is fairly common for beet
0: type vegetables, I guess you'd call it. Uh-huh. And does that
1: sugar taste the same as cane sugar?
0: Well once once it's been purified, it's all mostly sucrose. It's the same thing, okay. Yeah. yeah. There are people who argue that that it has a different flavor, but
2: I I personally don't think it does. <laughs> um, so we're we're getting back to the King of Potatoes, Frederick the Great. okay what what did that wacky individual do this time he subsidized um experiments for extracting sugar from sugar beet instead of Ah. from um there was a scientist a chemist from berlin
0: um, which I'm trying to remember what German kingdom that would be I think
2: Brandenburg um, in 1747 managed to isolate sugar from from the roots and showed that it is chemically the same okay. as cane sugar wow and that is something that you can grow in northern Europe It is. They did. (laughs) Um, They created their own cultivar, um, which Weiser Schlesitzer Zuckerup, apologies for my
0: pronunciation, or White Silesian Sugar Beet, which has 6% sugar concentration, which is quite high for a sugar beet.
2: Okay. And that is the same species that's used now. Oh, wow. They're still using the same one. It's the same cultivar, yeah. Huh? Um, unfortunately, the first plant to extract beet sugar was destroyed in the Napoleonic War. Okay.
0: Which, long-term, may have been a mistake for Napoleon, honestly. Because... Ah. In 1813, he banned imports of Caribbean sugar, not out of any concerns about slavery. Of course. You need to understand that. (laughs) Um, It's because he wanted to stop the money from the sugar trade going to Britain. Ah,
2: yes. And He would actually have his Navy um, blockade sugar ships. Okay. So he... (laughs) Ended up quite dependent on the sugar beet. Yeah. (laughs) But by eighteen thirty-seven, France was the largest producer of beet sugar in the world. I can see why. (laughs) Thirty-five thousand tons a year. Oh my goodness. And yeah, sugar beet sort of spreads throughout
0: Northern Europe through uh, Ukraine and Russia Mm
2: -hmm.
0: as a kind of, hey,
2: here's some cheaper sugar. (laughs) Um, Sugar beet cultivation also showed up in
0: um, the US, especially Philadelphia. Um, Unsurprisingly,
2: it was popular among abolitionists. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was often referred to as free sugar. Okay. But it was also um apparently didn't taste as good. Oh. Uh because the soil was
0: apparently relatively salty?
2: Oh, So the right. sugar bean
0: just didn't do as well in
2: terms of concentration. I see. Um but a sugar company was set up by the Mormons in the eighteen eighties. Okay. Cause sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> is it still going? Um, unfortunately it is not. Okay. Um, but they they did create a strain of blight resistant sugar beet. Oh, always handy. Which is cool. Um, Yeah, they're mostly in sales now rather than actually making sugar. Okay. They've actually mostly switched over to Brazilian sugar cane hmm. as of um 2010. Yeah, there, w- there were attempts to s- set
0: up um, sugar beet production in Britain as well in the 1830s. There was the United Kingdom Beetroot Sugar Association. <laughs> oh,
1: I I love agricultural association names.
2: Yeah, it, it was not particularly successful. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, although ab- abolition did put a
0: big dent in sugar cane. And mm-hmm. sugar beet was actually two-thirds of world sugar production by the start of the 20th century. Okay. Although most most British sugar wasn't grown in Britain, and I believe still isn't. Um, that makes
2: sense. People, I mean, we just don't have the capacity,
0: do we? Well, yeah, m- most of the beet sugar came from Germany and Austria. Mm-hmm. Um. Although now 50% of UK sugar is... British beet sugar. Hey, yeah, I,
1: I've definitely heard of it being grown in the UK, I think.
0: Yeah, by one
2: company which was originally um, set up by the government. Uh, just, it's just called British Sugar. Oh. I mean, does what it says on the tin, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems like... Um, Sort of between the first and second world wars there was a big push mm-hmm. to,
0: and obviously after the second world war big push generally to grow more stuff domestically
2: yeah that makes sense so yeah that is a like I said a whistle stop tour through the history of sugar um,
0: it could definitely go for longer, but then it would be possibly too in depth for the level <laughs> we tend to do on this podcast. <laughs> it would just be its its own podcast at that point. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's so many aspects you could honestly you could do a whole podcast series on most of the the kind of bigger things that we've talked about on on this show.
0: I mean, even some of the smaller things, like there's a podcast that I listen to, British Food History that did a three parter
2: on eels. oh wow. We did, we did one episode <laughs> we do. yeah. we only did the one eels <laughs> But I can see why there would be much more to say about that, yeah. I mean, i I didn't even touch on
0: you know, there were there were a lot of advances in sugar beet
2: technology during um the Soviet Union. Wow. We are we are a funky little animal. Um, anyway we, we are sugar... getting sorry sorry you, you meant eels I thought you were calling sugar beets a funky little animal. Oh i <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess um, I guess sure. they are too. So, yes, before we go on to local Larda, um if you want to suggest an
0: episode like Ewan, you can email uh, breadandthreadpodcast at com or send us a message at breadandthread on Twitter or Tumblr, where you can also find, you know, various links to things we talk about on the show, pictures, retweeting slash reblogging all that good stuff
1: you can also find us on youtube bread and thread again where there are video versions of podcast episodes um and we have a patreon that is also bread and thread um where you can find there's a discord server where we talk about stuff that we are making
2: or things from episodes there are monthly patreon exclusive recipes um and Hello, I'm Mod Pencil from Probably Bad RPG Ideas. If you'd like to hear discussions of
1: ideas such as "What if in my urban fantasy game magic turns out to not be real?" and "What is the best rules for an O, then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, which is available on everywhere podcasts are and also I think that's YouTube it. I think that's or it. check out our yeah. Tumblr and Twitter. I, I, I love how we do this every time. I'm like, is that is that all of the places that we are? Yeah, that's all the places. Just a lot of things. Yeah, we've we've got fingers and a lot of
2: pies. (laughs) But what I'm gonna talk about now is not a pie. But it does include sugar.
1: Oh. So there's uh there's a connection. Um so this is one I was actually gonna do more towards um Christmas time, but I think think it still counts. We're still in winter. So um, I've been wanting to talk about St Lucia buns for a while.
2: Oh, okay. um,
1: Yeah, or (laughs) Lusakata, as I believe they are known in Sweden. So these are
2: a traditional um, Scandinavian bun. And they are
1: flavoured with saffron. Um, (laughs) So they're traditionally eaten for breakfast on uh Saint Lucia's Day, which is the thirteenth of December, which under the old calendar is the winter solstice. Um and there is actually a John Donne poem about that, a nocturnal upon Saint Lucy's Day. Um
2: now is the now is the day's midnight and the world something like that. Um Yeah. So
1: Saint Lucy is um an early christian saint from sicily um but has ended up being celebrated mostly in scandinavia and um italy on december the 13th
0: um why because that's that's an odd combination of countries i think yeah
1: it is quite random but um i i'm not quite sure like no one seems to be entirely sure like possibly um it just kind of made its way there um i mean people did celebrate the winter solstice in in the Norse countries as well um so it might have just been you know convenient like conflated um but it is um still celebrated in Scandinavia um and it's you might have seen images where um it there's like a I think a lot of schools do it where they pick one of the girls to wear like a crown of a wreath with candles. Um, and they they do like a service. Um, and yeah, when, one of the girls dresses as uh Saint Lucia. And these buns are traditionally eaten upon that day, although they're also just kind of associated with um Christ, the Christmas season.
2: And so there are a saffron bun in kind of a distinctive S shape. Um, there's a bit of
1: kind of myth about the legend of these buns, as
2: there are with many things. I mean, that's my favourite part, isn't it? <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> um, so... There's kind of a like a folk history bit of um, the,
1: this idea that um, on that night the wild hunt would be riding, riding, and like the the original name for the buns uh, translates to devil's cats.
0: Which oh, I that a lot more.
1: Yeah, <laughs> which is where that kind of comes from. But apparently, it actually doesn't have anything to do with cats. <laughs> and it comes from a, a dutch midwinter feast bread that's similar that sounds a bit like cat uh, yeah
0: disappointing
1: <laughs> i know um so like they they actually don't really have much to do with
2: like warding off the devil um but they do sound delicious um So one of the recipes that i found involves
1: um, milk saffron, butter, uh, white bread flour, golden caster sugar, uh, yeast and currants. Um, A lot of them seem to be sprinkled with that,
2: uh, I've forgotten what it's called, the, the really chunky sugar. That is demerara. No, no, it's the white crumbly white sugar. Yeah, yeah, pearl sugar. Apparently, that's what it's that. Okay. Um. Yeah, it says apparently it's just sugar that is like compressed, that makes it crunchy and nice looking, Hmm. in in little lumps. Uh, yeah. So it's a sweet bread. It, it sounds
0: delicious, like
1: um, it, oh yeah yeah it sounds quite briochey yeah um it's a sweet bread flavored with saffron and shaped into this kind of curly s shape and they look quite delicious and i did want to make some one this year but i didn't get time so i'm gonna give it a go when i finally have an oven again because i'm sure while they are associated with the Christmas season, they can they, they sound delicious for all year round. Um so yeah, that's it. It's it's part of this celebration that symbolizes the return of the sun and light in the
2: darkness. Um and also that's delicious nice. delicious buns. Oh, I I like that. <laughs> I know. It is it is a a nice little tradition, I think. And it sounds a bit tastier than, like, I feel like a lot of the British traditional, like, Christmas foods
1: are quite dense.
0: Yeah, we I do go for a lot of stodge.
1: <laughs> yeah, which, uh, I mean, we'll get you through the winter, but sometimes you want something fluffy. So, yeah, that, that is the local ladder. Um, We hope you have enjoyed this episode, and we will see you next time.